Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Rick Miller is an unconventional turnaround specialist, sought-after speaker, servant leader, and expert in driving sustainable growth. For over 30 years, he served as a successful senior executive in roles including president and CEO in Fortune 10, Fortune 30, nonprofit and startup companies including AT&T Global Services and Lucent Technologies. Throughout his career, he has been recruited from the outside to turn around poor performance in difficult times. His new book, Be Chief, It's a Choice, Not a Title, helps leaders at all levels achieve their true potential. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast, Rick. Hey, Lori. It's great to be with you. Oh, it's great to be with you. I tell you, I love, 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 love this concept that we're going to talk about today. And before we get into that, tell us more about your journey and what really led you to writing the book. Well, it, you know, the, the specific question about what led me to write the book is, is a real clear answer. Um, I was actually, uh, 10 years ago, was reading a copy, believe it or not, of Oprah Magazine. And on the, the I'm back, impressed out of the shoot with that. Okay, <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you the last the demo section. Is all, that's not the demo. Good for you. <laughs> I'm just telling you. This is the truth. I, I, I was reading a copy of O Magazine, and in the last section, there was a section called, you know, what I know for sure. And at the time, Oprah was having difficulty with her uh, school for girls in Africa, and she was having a conversation with her then beau, still beau, Stedman Graham, and she shared in that magazine that Stedman made the comment, leadership is the key to everything. And Oprah followed up with, and yes, it's a choice for everyone. And that just encapsulated to me something that I had been taught from an early age from my dad and had learned from business school and supplemented with, with professional activities. And it said, you know what, that's such an important message. I, I really do want to write a book. It, Lori, it only took me 10 years because in September of 2018, 10 years to the month afterwards, we published Be Chief. Ah, I love it. Well, this this concept um, is a very, very important one. And the big idea here is that, uh, you know, conventional wisdom has long defined chiefs as rulers of people, those who are successful and hold the most power in business. And quite frankly, society, we view chiefs as special and sick, you know, as special chosen people. But that conventional wisdom is wrong. Tell us why it's wrong. Well, I, I think what I've come to understand is that the, the chiefs are an interesting topic. Everybody wants to talk about chiefs, but Lori, the reason they want to talk about chiefs, it's because of the power associated with the word chief. So when people think about chiefs conventionally, they think about authority and control that comes from position or title, or in fact, really an air of supremacy. You kind of go up the org chart, if you will, to get big decisions made because I guess somebody believes they're smarter. Um, but that's an old definition of power. I think today's definition of power, it's about energy and influence and clarity and confidence and impact. And if you think about those five things, Lori, everyone has those. So when I define chief, I said a chief is someone who has power, but it's the definition of power that I think we need to look at. Now, repeat those five elements for us again, because I think they're very important. We've got energy, influence, clarity. What was the fourth one? 
Confidence. Confidence and then impact. And impact. Yeah, I believe that those are the things that really, if someone is powerful, and I've, I've, I've had a chance, as you mentioned in the bio, to, to work in all kinds of different organizations, profits and nonprofits, and, and, and the for-profits from startups to some of the biggest multinationals in the planet. And what I always find is great people at all levels. So the challenge for us as we try to work towards sustainable growth is how do we allow everyone to bring their A game every day to work? And that's what I focus on. Yeah, I love it. And, and, you know, if you think about it, we, from a hierarchy standpoint, even in business, have built the mantra that, you know, the managers can only be chiefs. And uh, it doesn't matter if it's middle manager, VP titles, CEO titles, it does not matter. Um, and on some level, there are the chiefs, but the concept here is that we want everyone having that, that mindset so that we can build greater, bigger, you know, more sustainable businesses, you know, increase revenue year over year, so on and so forth. And it really takes, I believe, a special CEO or a person at the top to realize that that's what they want that mindset throughout the organization. Can you comment on that, please? Yeah, it, it helps. It certainly helps if a, if a CEO gets it. There's no question about it. But one of the points that I make in the book is that people should not look up for answers. They should look inside for answers. And frankly, if they're on the front line, let's say they're, they're on a low point on the, on the organization chart, they should not only look inside, but they should look side to side. One of the things we share in the book is some of the research that shows that, that the impact of anyone bringing a positive attitude and other positive attributes in the workspace, it spreads. I mean, it absolutely, positivity is contagious. So you don't, if you're in an organization right now where the CEO, let's give the CEO a, a seven out of 10. Let's just say that she or he isn't a 10 out of 10. And, and there's things they could do better. Many people would look up and say, well, we really need a CEO to do better. I would rather have them say, you know what, while the CEO is growing, I can do better for myself by looking at inside, looking inside myself, the choices that I'm making and the choices that I'm making can provide some of that positive energy that will absolutely ripple through the organization. And there's research that backs that up. Well, you know, they say that you've always got to surround yourself by people that are smarter than you. Be Chief is a perfect example of how letting go of areas of business that you don't necessarily know well and allowing people to take control just makes the business stronger. Well, the, the term decentralization, Lori, as you know, has been around for a long time. And some organizations have been very successful bringing decision-making to the, to, the, to the lowest point in the organization, which increases speed and many times increases the quality of decision-making, certainly when it comes to who's closest to the customer. Sometimes it's the salesperson. So giving that person at the point of contact with the customer more flexibility, more decision-making capability, increases customer sat, increases revenue, and everybody's happy. So, so decentralization has been around for a while. Now we ter use terms like agile and self-directed teams. They're just, you know, reconstitute new words, if you will, for right. something that's always worked. Yeah, it's fantastic. Now, in, in the book, uh, you talk about a power compass, which is a combination of values, insight, uh, creativity, discipline, and support. Can you guide us through um, how ultimately we as leaders can, can utilize that concept? Yeah, happy to. And thank you for asking, because this is really the core of the work. And by the way, uh, you know, we're talking about the book, but when it comes to the power compass, your listeners should know that it's free 
online. They can go to beingchief.com slash compass and take this tool for free, independent of the book, and get a score. And here's the key point. I've learned, Lloyd, that the language of business is numbers. So if you want to focus on something, you really want to measure it. So we talk about this concept of power and specifically energy, influence, clarity, confidence, and impact. What the power compass will do is allow you to answer simple questions to give yourself a score in each of those five areas. You add them all up, the total score is from zero to 100. You'll actually be able to get a score for how powerful you are. And then more importantly, after you get that baseline, you'll be able to make choices to increase your power. So it's a very easy, take you no more than three minutes to do it online. Take out your smartphone, bing, 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 you're in, and it'll give you tips for you to be more powerful. I'm really pleased with the way the compass came out because again, you use a compass to, for direction. And the point is, don't look to somebody else for direction. Build your own power compass consistent with your values and your choices, and you will have something to help you, uh, you know, navigate when you need direction. I love it. And, and I'm looking at the power compass visually right now. And if our listeners um, would just take a moment to shut their eyes and visualize this as well, we've got, because I think it's important for them to understand the concept and really how ultimately creativity, circles of creativity, support, insight, discipline, all, you know, the center pieces of those, if you will, they all touch. And all those elements become very important to really leading to the values, which is at the, you know, the concentric circle side of it, um, at the center of it all. And that is ultimately what we want to be able to push out as leaders is that value proposition, not just externally, which is something that we continually talk about, but internally for our teams. No question about it. I mean, people talk about values-based organizations and purpose-driven organizations, and those are wonderful and important topics. The advocacy that I offer in the Power Compass is that many people uh, have trouble answering this question, Lori. If somebody asked you, what do you stand for, right? What do you stand for? And one of the things I I find in working with all kinds of uh, leaders and some with chief titles, some without, is there's a lot of great attributes out there. But what are those core, your north, south, east, west? What are those core values that in a crunch are the first one that comes to mind so that that's what you want to stand for? People taking the time to figure out what they stand for. And then with those values well understood, they make choices about how they speak, how they write, and how they act, and how they deal with others. And those values, when they're, when they're consciously selected, can come through and make them more powerful. I agree. You know, when, when you were asking that question to me, I was visualizing probably one of the or some of the common responses would be integrity and ethics. But when you sit back and ask yourself why integrity is important, why ethics are important, I think that's when you really get to the core of the value. No, I think you're right. And, and again, I, I would say that integrity and ethics are what I would call kissing cousins. Right. So, so they, they are the same. I, you know, my, my four are truth, service, equality, and connection. Hmm. So, you know, again, for what does that mean? It means that, uh, so I am a male, but when the topic of gender balanced leadership comes up, I go crazy, right? Every organization that I, I, I have promoted a bunch of people throughout my career, more women than men. And some of them say, well, why is that? Well, you'd have to look at my core four values and you'd say that equality, I'm rabid. I'm nuts about equality. When it doesn't exist, I go crazy. 
So it's one of my core four and I act on it, right? Connection. We are connected in ways we don't understand. So I'm always aware of, of the impact of those around me. Um, uh, and the connectivity that we all have as a diverse group of people trying to accomplish something, that connection is something I spend lots of time on. Service, understand, is, is, is why I believe we're here, is to help each other. And truth, again, I don't have a lot of tolerance for people trying to mislead others. Let's deal with the truth. Let's deal with it openly and honestly. So hopefully the people who know me see my values come through in my choices. Well, I'm sure, you know, you walk the walk and talk the talk as many great leaders uh, do, and, and those components are so important. Now, you also address people metrics uh, and measuring uh, with granularity um, and how that can maximize success. Can you also talk us through that concept? Yeah, happy to. I mean, again, I, I, like you, I've been, I've been uh, given many titles uh, and, and words to describe me. Uh, the words that often come up are unconventional turnaround specialist. As you mentioned in the bio, I'm often brought into organizations where things are going pretty badly. Um, and, and, and so the decision is we have to do something different. Now, turnaround people, people who are focused on turnarounds, generally are, are pretty good at focus, focusing on financial capital. They know they need to increase sales. They need to increase profits. They need to help the share price. There's all kinds of financial metrics that are available. The, the area of human capital, however, I would tell you is underrepresented in turnaround work. And that's why someone might call me unconventional because I spend every bit as much time in human capital and human capital metrics as I do financial metrics. That's probably because my dad was a human resource executive and I, I learned those lessons growing up at the kitchen table, the importance of market-based compensation, the importance of making sure that, that you're recognizing people for the great work they're doing, the importance of training, the importance of all these human, human, human capital aspects, which really, you know, Jim Collins wrote a great book, uh, A Good to Great, and his rule number one is it's who first. You'll figure out what you're gonna do later, but it's who first. So my focus on human capital is in line with, uh, with a lot of great writing that's out there. Uh, amongst them, Jim Collins' fantastic book, Good to Great. So true. You can't deliver the service or the product without answering who up front um, and, and making sure, as Jim would say, that you've got the right people in, in, in the right seats. Uh, can you recall uh, an example for us without naming a company on where you lived that real time and, and you needed to make the tough decisions ultimately uh, to, to bring the chiefs in that it was going to take to, to make an impact on the business? Oh, sure. I'll give you a very specific example. Um, uh, when I was uh, recruited uh, to join AT&T as their first outsider in their 100-year history uh, to run a $3 billion line unit that was struggling and they were, they were having a tough time against competition. And they said, wow, we, we've got to go outside the company for the senior position. And I walked into the job and, and was told by my boss, uh, the good news is you have a level, uh, level budget year over year, right? And, and that sounded like a good thing. I wasn't getting an expense cut. But Lori, the problem was I was walking into an organization that had dedicated no money to training. Uh. None. So we optimized everything we could do, uh, non-people related. I mean, we consolidated space and we, you know, cut back on all supplies. We did everything you could think of to create money to train our people, but it wasn't enough. So it was a very unpopular move. But inside of 90 days, as the first outsider in AT&T's history, the senior levels, I announced uh, a, an 8%
uh, layoff. And wow. you got to you got to know that again. I was brought in when you know things were not good, as I always am. Uh, but I I told the you know the ninety plus percent of the people who were left. I said, guys, we have got to create money to work with you so that you are more valuable than you are today. By the way, if things don't work out, you'll be more marketable in the future. So that's an open and honest kind of employee contract. Right. But it was critical, critical that I put my money where my mouth was and said to the people there, we're going to meet you halfway in terms of training. And we expect you to work on your skill sets, but I've got to create some money for you to be better or we won't win in the market. So that was a pretty tough decision. But you know, in that particular case, the $3 billion unit that I was leading, which was growing at 5% for the next three years, averaged 15% growth. Wow. That's incredible. And as you're explaining this, I think that there's a profound epiphany out there that many leaders are experiencing. And there's two kinds of training, right? There's investing in your people and making them um, better managers, uh, better team players, you know, developing better cultures, whatever those types of trainings are, right? And then there is the industry and the technology that is changing so much of what we do day to day. If I, if I take a look in, in the marketing arena, technology is one of the driving forces on how we are developing integrated communications programs now. Um, the, the MarTech side of digital advertising, of website development, and the data analytics, the big data that we now are able to obtain through marketing you know, the joke out there is that Google changes 24-7, you know, and it's true. We've always got to stay up on those, not just trends, um, but technology enhancements and training. So think through your own organization and what you need to do to dovetail both of those components to stay ahead of the competition. All right, Laura, you could not be more right. The issue of training comes to uh, hard skills and soft skills. Uh, hard skills, certainly, uh, you know, whether it's the market uh, or your products or your competition, you have to be ready w with the constant change out there and have to find a system to, to stay up. At the same time, we need to grow as individuals, our ability to communicate with each other. Uh, we talk about self-directed teams, which are, which are a wonderful way to accelerate some of the innovation that's available at all levels. But people just don't come into an organization and know how to optimize in a self-directed team environment. So you need to spend some time. The benefits are do, of doing it are there, but you need to focus on both sides of training. So I agree with you 100%. Well, you said it much more eloquently, hard and soft skills. So thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. Now, vulnerability uh, is an important thing, I think, with any leadership team. And I believe when... Uh, the CEO of a business uh, can show his or her vulnerability, that just makes them stronger. It makes them more human. It makes them more approachable. It makes them a chief. How do you address that in the book? Well, the, the book, I, I, I certainly give a, a credit to some of the great writing that's been done uh, by Brene Brown, uh, who's got a new book out, by the way, uh, I think Dare to Lead, but, uh, but her older books are fantastic too. I, mean, I just she, bought that. <laughs> I've not read it a Brown fan. Yeah. Um, a Daring yeah. Greatly and, and other books uh, that, that she writes on the topic. But I'll tell you the story I tell in the book, which is kind of how we apply it, uh, well, how I chose to apply it, uh, was, was an example of when I was trying to, when I was brought into an organization, matter of fact, it was AT&T as well, and I was trying to build uh, a culture of, of open communication. And I had, at the time we announced the layoff, just to continue with that story, because it fits, 
um, I was explaining uh, what the layoff uh, uh, and the benefits of, of taking advantage of the voluntary package that we were going to offer as part of it to a group of employees. When somebody raised their hand and said, uh, in kind of an accusatory tone uh, to this high-level manager that was me, um, hey, my wife is going through cancer uh, therapy right now. Um, you know, do you really know how the impact of health care benefit changes are going to affect my wife? And frankly, do you even care? Right? So it was really a challenge. And I actually used the, uh, the opportunity to share with uh, the audience uh, for the first time. I had held the fact that I am a cancer survivor. Uh, I had had uh, cancer uh, probably 10 years earlier and never told anyone about it. Uh, but chose to to put myself out there and say, you know what, I I, I can tell you about the healthcare uh, changes at AT and T, but I I can also uh, dissuade you from believing that I don't know anything about cancer because I've had it, and a pin could have dropped and you would have heard it in that auditorium of three or four hundred people, but I can tell you that the amazing thing that happened after uh, was the number of people who would approach me again as the first outsider. There was not a line outside my door. Let's go talk to the new guy. Uh, but after I shared that information and showed that we're all the same, we all put our pants on one leg at a time and, and we all struggle with things. And I shared a very personal story. Uh, and frankly, as Brene Brown would, would point out, uh, the courage to be open and honest and say you don't have all the answers is what really allows teams to respond positively to you and bringing your personal self to work. While a long time ago, they would have said, you know, leave that stuff at home. It's just the opposite today. And I think it makes you more powerful. I would totally agree. And of course, being a chief is contagious and it creates this energizing engagement that is so important. And, and this vulnerability that you just defined and we're so brave to share is, you know, I am, am certain that really helped pump up the team. Um, knowing that, you know, this, this individual is so open with us, you know, we want to do good by him. Can you talk to us about some of the positive outcomes of this mindset and how it creates that viral energizing engagement with a team? Sure. Well, all people want to know, honestly, is that they are hurt, right? And so in, a, in an organization with many levels, if you will, many people will feel like they're not heard. So the opportunity to have an open door policy, to have people want to reach out to you and give, give you their good ideas. You know, when I arrived at AT&T, I was very clear that there was so much I didn't know. I did know that I wanted to follow AT&T's common bond, which was our set of values. I said, if you really want to debate on our values, to be honest, I've got no appetite for that because that is sacred. That's one of the reasons I joined the firm. But other than our values, everything else is on the table, right? If you have a good idea, if you have something you think we're doing well or something we're doing poorly, I want to hear it. I want to know it. And I want to create an environment where however you want to give it to me, by the way, we spend some time in the book talking about extroverts and introverts, uh, because extrover extroverts will, will raise their hand in an open forum and say, this is what's going wrong. And introverts not likely to do that. So you need to set up different mechanisms so the wonderful ideas that come from what I call the quiet chiefs can find their ways to people who can make changes if they can't make themselves. So thinking about the different kinds of people in your organization and creating opportunities for them to, to give you their best is what any kind of chief, whether they have the title or not, should be all about doing. Now, what are some tips that you can provide our listeners regarding bringing out those capabilities when you know they're there, but maybe the person um, that you're managing doesn't know? Well, I'll give you one specific one that's worked really well for me and many of my clients. 
Uh, I know that many people love to pull teams together and do brainstorming, right? They'll do whiteboarding or brainstorming or let's, let's come together and, and, and talk about what we might do differently, uh, open forum discussions. And by the way, those are terrific if you're an extrovert. Them. I agree. <laughs> if you're an extrovert. So here's something that I suggest. If you're going to have an open forum and you want to talk about two or three issues to get the team together, that's great. But for your introverts, if you send out an email the night before and give everyone a tip about where you're going to take the discussion and suggest to introverts, don't say, hey, this is to the introverts, but to anybody who would like to provide some input prior to the discussion, you know, you can email me as long as I get it before seven o'clock the next morning. Uh, I will take your input and integrate it into the discussion. So That's many times the smartest people uh, in the room sometimes are the introverts, right? Happens sometimes, right? We sometimes don't give them the opportunity uh, to get their input in, but that simple practice of offering them the opportunity to send an email the night before gets their voice in the room in a way that they're okay with. It's the simple things, right, Rick? Exactly right. So we've talked so much about being a chief. Um, it's a choice, not a title through our conversation today, but you are proving to our listeners today really how you can walk the walk and talk the talk. 100% of the proceeds of the book go to supporting kiddos with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Tell us more about that. Well, again, it's really a gift that, that I received, Lori. Uh, along the way, I spent some time at a rehabilitation hospital and spent uh, a bit of time in a 100-degree heated pool with a wonderful uh, six-year-old girl named Melissa who was stricken with cerebral palsy. Uh, I tell the story in detail in my, in my TED Talk, but the net of it is that uh, she taught me, uh, was, was such a wonderful example of what a true chief is mm. from the standpoint of when I first saw her, she was sitting in her wheelchair, complete stillness, taking in the situation. Yet when she got in the pool, she was as focused and as hardworking as anybody I've ever, ever worked with. She was generous with her smile. She was always grateful by saying thank you to the physical therapist and, and me who was helping the physical therapist as we attempted to stretch her muscles that were otherwise absolutely rigid. And, and it was amazing uh, to see the staff around the rehab hospital respond to Melissa whenever she entered the pool area. Uh. She had an impact um, that, that you just felt. And it was just such a reminder that we can never assume that people who have disadvantages can't be a chief or aren't as powerful in the ways that really matter. And she was so inspirational to me that uh, it just felt like such a natural move to take this book about power and dedicate it to help other kids like Melissa who can not only benefit from our, from our help, but have so much to teach. Well, they certainly do. I have a niece with Down syndrome and a nephew with autism and MR, and they teach me something each and every day. Rick Miller, thank you so much. We've learned through so much through you today. Remember, don't look up for answers. Look inside and side to side. Thank you so much for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thanks, Lori. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.